to Totalus Rankium. This week, George Washington, part two. And welcome to American Presidents Totalis Rankium. I am Jamie. And I'm Rob, ranking all of the presidents from Washington to Trump. And this is episode 1.2. Ooh. George Washington, Yay. part two. I'm quite excited about this because my, my opinion of him changed. Oh, I don't much yeah. of an opinion to start with, I'll be honest. <laughs> no. But. Blank slate. Start a bit of a kind of a <laughs> idiot. Yeah. To sort of. Oh, actually, he's okay. got some smarts. So you're thinking, is that going to continue or was that the peak i hope it doesn't start to crest yeah when the wave you know hits yeah hits its peak and then starts to fold under itself and then crash down into a seal well let's see if if that happens literally or metaphorically as you have hinted at of course we covered his early life last episode his rise as a gentleman after marrying martha <laughs> then the start of the war, we briefly covered how he won by refusing to give up mm. until the French turned up and helped them out. <laughs> yeah. So, today we're going to see what happened to him after the war and how exactly he became president and what did he do when he did. Interesting. So, picture the scene. Got it. <laughs> you're already picturing it. That's yep. good. <laughs> <clears throat> Might be slightly different to what you're thinking. Okay. Well, Yorktown is what I'm thinking. Smouldering ruin. Ooh. Burnt wood. The dead little goat. litter the fields. Ooh, shouldn't litter. <laughs> no, they're going to get told off for that. Yeah. Yeah. The battle is over. The war is technically not. Okay. Although this is the last major conflict of the war. After this, the British eventually pull out. I wouldn't say we we didn't lose or pull out. We just, we, we, we're we biding our time. <laughs> We'll see in future episodes how, how the British deal with this loss. Well, it's a tactical retreat. Yeah, tactical retreat. <laughs> so the British are pulling back to New York at this point, so they're still on the continent. Everyone's decided, shall we just stop fighting? And we'll let the diplomats work things out in Paris. Fair enough. But... The army was not happy. Many of the men were owed a huge amount of money. Congress had no money to pay. Well, I spent it on the war, I'm guessing. Yeah. Let's face it. The, the colonies didn't really have that much money, and no. it, war is very expensive. Mm -hmm. Now, there were still 26,000 British troops hanging around, but the French had gone. Oh. Yeah. There was no kind of party victory atmosphere going on here. The war may have unofficially ended, but everyone is still on edge. And whispers start to spread amongst the men. Philadelphia has no intention of paying them their due. They needed to do something while they still had weapons. Oh dear. Realising that something had to be done, Washington arranged a meeting for the officers to air their grievances to a spokesman. Fairly sensible. Yeah. He'd caught wind of some illegal meetings going on. Ooh. So he, he thought, well, let's do a formal meeting and then let's bring it out in the open. Yeah. Yeah. Stop it going underground. Do you think they had to pass around a little toy on who could speak? It was right, that. You're, you're holding the teddy, you can speak. It was that kind of meeting, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Very organised. Guy holding a bear, I'm feeling a bit, a bit anxious and a bit angry because I feel like I should have been paid. And I feel like, oh, can I just enjoy? No, you don't have the bear. <laughs> Sit down. As the bear got a little continental army yes. coat on. Yes. Oh, that's nice. The blue jacket. Slightly, slightly war-torn, so arm like half off, a bit threadbare, but... Yeah. He's seen, he's seen a lot. What's oh, hell? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
So anyway, the officers gathered, fully prepared for that style of meeting. That's the kind of meeting they'd had before. However, before they could arrange the chairs in a circle and pass around the talking bear, none other than George Washington himself walked in. No one was expecting him to be there. This is the leader of the Continental Army. Everyone was expecting someone lower down to be dealing with this. So, a sudden shock arrival. The room hushed. Shh, shh. He's here, he's here, he's here. Washington stood in front of his near-mutinous men and started to speak. He started by telling them off a little bit, basically. What's all this about all this rumours of mutiny then, chaps? But he soon started to work in some emotional blackmail. Nice. He said, and I quote, As I have been a constant companion and witness to your distress, it can scarcely be supposed at this late stage of the war that I am indifferent to your interests. So I've got your back, guys. Yeah. Don't worry. We're in this together. Some of the crowd seemed to be swayed, but not everyone. Still mm. still some... In the background. Yeah. He continued by talking about patriotism, about the dangers of civil war. And then he pulled out a letter from Congress. He wanted to make sure the soldiers knew that Congress knew about their grievances. Yeah. However, Washington found the letter quite hard to read. The handwriting was small and cramped. So he pulled out his glasses. The men had never seen him wearing spectacles before. (laughs) So a murmur goes round. Glasses. Glasses. (laughs) Spectacles. Washington looked up and said, and again I quote, Gentlemen, you must pardon me. I have grown grey in your service and now find myself going blind. (laughs) So he suffers from a bit of (laughs) long-sightedness. But he's using that to his advantage. Oh yes, because at this point the officers are said to have been reduced to tears. Washington quickly realised he was onto something here. I'd like to think at that point he just, like, bashes his leg against the nearby table. Oh, and my leg as well. My leg went. <laughs> Hobbles over. <laughs> hand behind his back. Lost my arm as well. Yeah. <laughs> I got quite a mighty paper cut the other week as well, guys. So, uh... And I bloody well stubbed that toe. <laughs> stubbed it right good. The nail's gone all black. I'm, I'm worried it's going to fall off. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, this sort of diffused the situation. That's good. So he knows that he needs to be a man of the people. Yeah, which you really don't get that feeling when you look at his early life. No, not at all. No, so he's he's learned from this war. But he did spend his time up, up the hills, the Bunker Hill thing. He spent his time with the, 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 the troops without any money, with no ammunition, no Yeah, exactly. And Valley Forge in particular was a, a tough time. Yeah. There was another winter that was just as bad as Valley Forge that I didn't have time to talk about. He's gone through a lot yeah. with these men. So he's he's able to show that, and the men are one round. Good. So there you go. And he stops there, what could have easily turned into a mutiny, and then, who knows, the army could have turned against mm. itself. Civil War, the British are still there. USA as we know it probably wouldn't have happened. Just because George Washington put on his spectacles. Nice. Yeah. By this time, peace talks in Paris had concluded. Didn't know in the US, because there was about a two-month delay on news back then. (laughs) Yeah, of course. But yeah, the the peace talks had finished. The British would recognise the United States of America. Washington, back stateside, therefore was able to disband his army. Over time, men were released from duty. The British pull out of New York and Washington moves in. Then in December 1783, he formally resigns as commander-in-chief of the Continental Forces and becomes a civilian 
once more. Hmm. The men who were there openly cried, apparently. His head of intelligence, Benjamin Talmadge, wrote, Such a scene of sorrow and weeping I have never before witnessed. George himself, however, by this point, just longed to be at home. He'd had enough. I want to go back to my farm, watch my slaves farm. That's all I want. That's <laughs> a simple life. <laughs> yeah. He was growing increasingly wary of the celebrity that he now had. He was finding it hard to get through a week without having to attend several formal dinners. <laughs> like so hard. I know. <laughs> all this foie gras. <laughs> and so he resigns. This stepping down of power has rightly been pointed out as a highlight in his career. Mm. Because this is quite phenomenal. Humility. Well, as we've seen in our Roman Empire series, how often does a man with the most power in the country just give it up? Once. Twice that I've got. Oh, we've got twice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Diocletian and Sulla are the only two men we have covered. We've got Sulla, yeah. Well, Diocletian is the only Roman emperor. Yeah, yeah. But the people in this time, in early US history, don't like the Roman Empire. That's imperial. That's Britain. People back in this time were obsessed with the Roman Republic. Really? Oh, yes, they really were. Well, I say people. The rich, educated men (laughs) were obsessed with the Roman Republic. That explains a lot. You get your Senate and you... you... Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. That makes a lot of sense now. Yeah. So the only two people we have covered who have volunteered to give up power are Diocletian and Sulla. Right. Now, Diocletian was a Roman emperor... Mm. That's imperial. So the Americans weren't too keen to to emulate Diocletian. Sulla, as we have learnt, was a bit of a psychopathic murderer. Mm. So let's not aspire to be him. But there is one person who we've not covered yet in our Roman Republic podcast, but we will do at some point. This is a man named Cincinnatus. Is that why Cincinnati is named? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, this is a, a figure we've, as I say, we've not covered, but essentially he raised an army, he fought against the enemies of Rome, he put down some rebellions, and then afterwards he retired to his farm. Right, nice. Yes. Cincinnatus was held up in the 1780s as a hero of Republican virtue. Wow. So you can guess who everyone started comparing Washington to. After winning lots of wars for the Republic... Washington also was going to retire back to his firm. His wish was to return to his life before the war. But he soon found that this was impossible, because before the war, he was well-known in the country, but he could just get on with things. Yeah. He is now the most famous person on the continent. Over the next couple of years, Mount Vernon came to resemble a hotel for all visitors that passed who wanted to pay their respects. Now, etiquette said back then, if a guest showed up on your door, of course, you you took them in, you fed them, you housed them. It's just the way things were. It's expensive, though, isn't it? Oh, yes. (laughs) Especially when you constantly got people. It was so busy, according to his diary, it was over a year after returning home before George managed to have dinner with Martha just on his own. Wow. Yeah. George wasn't rude to the visitors, but unsurprisingly, he was hardly the life and soul of the party each night. (laughs) He had a life to lead. He couldn't be there being the best host every single night. So you you got mixed reports. Some people would turn up and say he was an amazing host. What a gentleman. Some people would come away thinking, who is this grumpy buffoon? (laughs) Uh, Makes sense, though. Yeah, definitely. It makes sense. 
After a while, however, he got so fed up with the constant visitors that he purposely put up misleading signs near his house. Nice. <laughs> sending possible visitors through bogs and thick woods before they'd arrive at the house. Excellent. <laughs> People would just turn up at the doorstep, just their hair all over the place, rips in their clothes. Alligator, that's your... Yeah. yeah. Just pounding on the door. The bear's coming. The bear's coming. <laughs> it's around this time that we start to see evidence that his opinions on slavery have changed slightly. In a positive way? Oh, yes, definitely. Possibly For due now? to... Well, we'll see. Possibly due to his closeness of his subordinates, such as Lafayette and Hamilton, who hated slavery. Washington seems to have come out of the war feeling somewhat uncomfortable with the practice. Interesting. Now, that's not to say he did anything about it, however. <laughs> when his good friend Lafayette wrote to him saying that he should free his slaves, Lafayette had recently freed his slaves. Wow. Lafayette was purposely buying slaves to free them all over the world. He's like Oscar Schindler. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Lafayette was really doing his best to free slaves. And he oh. wrote to Washington and said, you should do this as well. You are so famous in America that you doing this now would inspire others to do it. Washington politely brushes the subject to one side. I would, but, you know, that, that tobacco is not going to pick itself, is it? Yeah, essentially. Um, he did start informing certain members of his staff that he did plan to free his slaves at some point. A hundred or so years. <laughs> I'll think about it. Yeah. Now, the fact that he didn't free his slaves is perhaps because he was stone broke. Mm. Everyone assumed he was fabulously rich. He was the leader of the Continental Army. He had this massive mansion, a huge, huge tracts of land. Of course, he must be rich, but no, he didn't get paid to be the leader of the Continental Army. Of course. And as we discussed last week, his farm wasn't actually doing too well. So he probably personally saw it as not economically viable to be doing anything about the slaves. Mm. He may at this point have had difficulty morally justifying to himself owning people. But he found the idea of losing his prestige even more abhorrent. Where's the gentleman? Hmm. So, in 1782, a law was passed that gave masters the right to free their slaves, and anti-slavery groups start springing up all over the country, including in Virginia. And they targeted, albeit subtly, George Washington. Hmm. In 1785, a guest arrived at the house. Hardly surprising, they kept turning up all the time. But this guest had many books on emancipation, hmm. which I like to think... He just sort of casually left lying around the house. <laughs> I'll just leave that there. One, one in the toilet. Yeah. Yeah, one on the dining table. Washington for, for weeks afterwards would just keep stumbling across books on emancipation. Yeah, what the hell? Lies down on his bed. Oh, it's in the pillowcase. Yeah. Yeah. There's one inside his shoe, so he can't get his foot in. Well, that's awkward. Yeah. Quite a small book, that one. Yeah. <laughs> Just a piece of paper that says free the slaves. Yeah, get yeah. brackets. A Quaker plantation owner in Virginia at this point also freed 78 of his own slaves and then publicly proclaimed that Washington failing to follow suit would leave an everlasting stain on Washington's legacy. Which turns out to be 100% accurate. <laughs> Washington, unfortunately, continues for the rest of his life to denounce slavery in words, but support it indeed. Washington needs some money. As I said, he didn't get paid during the war, and now he has to pay for the revolving door of guests and tourists feeding at his table. Bright side, he's got lots of land. Mm. And he does have these slaves that can work, so he was determined to make a profit 
for once. He throws himself into modernising his farm, researching new methods, theories and technologies that might help improve the situation. I've heard about this. He's a moderniser of equipment. Yeah, yeah. He, That's ringing something. As I said, guests got a mixed picture of him, but apparently one of the few times he really came alive was when people talk about things like crop cycles and stuff. His, his, his passion was farming at this point. Really? He really, really wanted to make a go at, at making it work. Mm. Whether it's because he had genuine interest or whether he was just going, oh my God, I'm so poor. <laughs> uh, it's hard to tell. But... Maybe I can't think my way out of this. Yeah. It's around this time that Washington heads out to go and see some land that he owns in western Pennsylvania. He got some new land before the war. He thought, let's let's go and actually see what's there. Nice. Maybe I can make some money out of this. He gets there and finds some people living on it. So he points out that that's his land, and the people say, no, it's not. Washington politely asks them to move, and they politely say no. So, a legal battle starts that drags on for quite some time. Eventually, George does win, and allows the people who live there to stay there and rent off him. That's nice. That is quite nice. Good money-making as well. (laughs) I say this, but I've seen that written down in two places, but I did see in one place that he actually chucked them off the land. So a bit of a contradiction there, but I'm fairly sure he'd, he'd let them stay. It makes sense, because you get money from that. But yeah, why would you, if you've got a paying tenant, why would you uproot them? Mm. But I, what this does show, though, is that he is he's clearly desperate for money at this he point. Is, yeah. Meanwhile, in Massachusetts, there is trouble. Oh dear. The state, like most, were in heavy debt after the war, so they levied some heavy taxes. We all know how the Americans love their taxes. Yeah. Enraging many ex-soldiers and farmers alike joined forces and marched on courthouses across the state. A real fear of anarchy started to take hold as courts were unable to operate and mob rule seemed to take over. This is known as Shays' Rebellion after the leading instigator. What was his name? Bill. Okay. Yeah. Henry Knox. Oh yes, if you remember, he's the one who arrived near Boston with oh, the yeah. cannons, yeah, yeah, muscles rippling, oh yeah, pulling them behind him. Everyone was mightily impressed oh, back yeah. then. While Henry Knox was sent to go and sort them out, but many people wanted Washington himself to go up north. Washington was the face of respectability, after all. Fair Yes. George was shocked by this turn of events when he found out, and I quote, But for God's sake, what is the course of this commotion? (laughs) Yeah, what's going on? Well, he wanted to know what the grievances were, and if the people had real grievances, why hadn't they been dealt with sooner? Hmm. And why had the uprising been left to fester for so long? Why hadn't it been put down? To which he pulled out his little teddy bear, ready for the meeting. Come on, come on, let's talk about this. Let's have another meeting, guys packed away some glasses and a crutch and uh, (laughs) all his props. Not for the first time, George was frustrated by the lack of any real federal government that could rule over the 13 states. The Continental Congress that had formed to talk about British taxation and led to independence was turning out to be a very weak form of government for the new country. Mm. Now known as the Confederation Congress, it had very little power to enforce individual states to do anything. It was seen as a political dead end, and the best men stayed in the states, and they sent, like, the losers to go and be in the federal governments, essentially. As proved by the problems in Massachusetts, this federal government, which didn't have any form of executive branch, was unable to act decisively, and it was declining in power. It didn't help that it had no power to raise taxes, meaning that it had to rely on individual states just giving it money to survive. As you can probably imagine, the individual states just didn't. Yeah, it it just was a failing government. That's not to say, however, that 
there wasn't support for a strong federal government, it's just this one wasn't it. Many wanted to look at the Articles of Confederation and see if they could make some amendments, see if they could improve it. Surely we can do better than this. So in 1786, Alexander Hamilton, who had been working as one of Washington's aides for a large portion of the war, called a meeting where the leading men in each state would see if they could make this thing work. Mm. Come on, let's get our heads together and just knock a few heads together. Yeah. yeah. Lock the doors until we can come up with a solution for this. Yeah. This obviously only works if the meeting was seen by all to have a bit of weight behind it, a bit of gravitas. Yeah. In an age where everything was brand new and there were no precedents, it was very hard to argue that this meeting was even legal, yeah. let alone something that should we listen to. So, so what's the best way? How can they get a bit of, bit of oomph behind this meeting? Get important people to go. And who is the most important person? George III. <laughs> Those people were hushed very quickly. <laughs> Kill him! You've not been listening for the last few years. <laughs> Miss, Mr. Washington, I believe. Of course, yes. So, Washington was asked, will you attend? George was not keen on the idea. He wanted to retire. Mm. He wanted to work on his new pet project, turning the Potomac River that ran by his house into the opening of a major canal system. However, in the end, he was persuaded. Not only that, he would lead the Virginia delegation. Eventually, as the start of the convention drew closer, Washington became more and more interested in the political shape of any future government. Mm. So he was unsure to begin with, but he was starting to get a bit interested here. Yeah. Ooh, that's an interesting idea. Well, one of his friends, a man named John Jay, who had been involved in the Treaty of Paris, sent Washington uh, an outline of a possible future government that was doing the rounds. This involved a Congress that would make laws, a separate judiciary that would judge the laws, and an independent executive branch that would just sort of run the services of the country. And that part would have one single president to rule it. This was the idea most people were going towards. The okay. details, however, needed to be ironed out. And that's what the whole convention was about. In May 1787, Washington was ill. Aww. He had violent headaches and stomach aches, but they could delay no longer. So the Virginian delegates set off for Philadelphia. Washington with one of those ice packs on his head, probably. Oh, yeah. And just yeah. A warm thing on his tummy. One of those hot microwavable bears. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a little blue uniform still. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's got loads of those. Washington was therefore probably greatly annoyed that the Virginians were one of the few states that arrived on time. Yeah, damn you. Could have delayed it for a bit. Everyone else was late. So the Virginians spent their time formulating what they wanted from this convention. They approved of Jay's vision of government, but they put their own spin on it. <laughs> They wanted Congress to have two houses, using proportional representation. Virginia, having the largest population, would definitely benefit from such a proposal. Mm. More people in a state, the more representation in the government, the more power they had. Okay. Makes sense, mm. if you're from Virginia. Mm. Eventually, other states start to arrive, and they started their meetings. The first point of order was to elect a president of the convention. Washington was the only real choice. The convention unanimously voted him as president. And so the convention gets underway. The idea was to amend the Articles of Confederation, but it soon became clear to all involved the best way to improve this, quite frankly, pathetic government we have is to tear it apart and start again. Makes sense. Yeah. The convention lasted several months. By the end of it, the Constitution of the United States was written. Are we 
simply don't have time to go through all the drama that took place in Philadelphia over the summer of 1787, but let's, let's just look at some of the highlights. Yeah. The meetings took place between 10 and 4 each day. That's good. Yeah, nice nice work day. if you can get it. Yeah. Then the unofficial part of the day would start, which was just as important as people used dinner parties to socialise and attempt to politically sway discussions. <laughs> George took his role as president very seriously, acting like a stern teacher. One day, a delegate from Georgia dropped some proposed resolutions whilst he was out. It had been agreed that the convention would not make anything public until a final decision had been made. Mm. George was outraged that some of the discussion had been leaked. Mm. So the next day, when everyone was together, he said, and I quote, Gentlemen, I'm sorry to find that some one member of this body has been so neglectful of secrets of the convention as to drop a copy of their proceedings which by accident was picked up and delivered to me this morning. I must entreat gentlemen to be more careful, lest our transactions get into the newspapers and disturb the public repose by premature speculation. I know not whose paper it is, but there it is. At this point, he throws it down on the table in front of him. Nice. Let him who owns it take it. At that point, there was just complete silence. No one dares to own up that it's their paper. <laughs> one person thought they'd lost their paper and slyly sort of edged forward and breathed a huge sigh of relief when they realised that, oh, that, that's not my paper. It's oh, <laughs> not my name on the front. In the end, no one owns up, so Washington just storms out of the room, leaving everyone feeling like schoolboys. Excellent. Washington had managed by this point in his life to get to the position where everyone felt like he was the natural leader. He was somehow above everyone else. <laughs> Some people did rebel against this idea, however. One delegate, a man named Morris, stated that this was nonsense, that he would be as familiar with Washington than with anyone else. Hamilton heard this and made a bet with him. Hmm. He said that he, Hamilton, would buy dinner for everyone present if the next time Washington entered the room, Morris would walk up to him, slap him on the shoulder, and say, My dear General, how happy I am that you look so well. <laughs> Morris accepts the bet. Nice. And sure enough, when Washington walks into the room... <laughs> oh, what daring times they lived in. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Do you think it was a game of spin the bottle, truth or dare? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You've got to wish Washington well. <gasps> well, Morris, he's a brave man, is Morris. Washington walks into the room. Morris stands up, walks straight up to him, slaps him on the arm, says, Washington, how glad I am to see that you are so well. What do you think happened? Oh, it'd be really funny if it just taken down by guards and killed. <laughs> No, um, I mean, this is before people had guards. Or, or Washington just looked and he wilted. Oh, you've got it. Spot on. Really? Washington just turns around <laughs> and gives him such an icy stare. Morris just backs away. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I couldn't find out with ha whether Hamilton had to deliver on the bet, because Wait, Morris did go and do it. Yeah. Yeah. AC's won the bet. <laughs> he won the bet. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Hamilton tries to say, OK, I'll, I'll do it now. But uh, Morris like, no, 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 don't want to talk about it. <laughs> no, <laughs> don't want to talk about it. We never discuss this ever again. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't happen. <laughs> so after a while, discussions start in earnest. The Virginian delegation, now led by a man named Madison. Might want to make a note of his name. Name rings a bell. Yes. 
Madison's in charge because Washington's now the president, so he has to take a back seat. He's got to remain neutral. So Madison's now in charge of the Virginians, and he makes it clear that they wanted the proportional representation in the Houses of Congress. This was met with stony contempt by the smaller states. <coughs> That's not fair. What about us? What about the little guys? Yeah. They said. In unison, it was a bit weird. Yeah. Almost choreographed. Yeah. Yeah. It's the dance in the middle of it. <laughs> yes. One Delaware delegate got up at this point and simply stated, I do not, gentlemen, trust you. Ooh. The burns were harsh. Yeah. There was genuine fear that the smaller states were just going to break away and form their own country at this point. Hmm. Or perhaps even worse, attempt to join another country. Ooh. Join with France or go back to Britain even. There was okay. definitely this fear that this isn't going to work. Things were looking bleak. New Jersey proposed that each state would have an equal say. Every state will put forward the same amount of people into Congress. Mm. You can imagine how this went down with the larger states. Mm. It's like, no, you little states are not dictating what we're going to do. So things are not going well. In fact, the convention seems to be making things worse. Washington started relying on Alexander Hamilton for more and more advice at this point, writing to him after he'd returned to New York for a while, I'm so sorry that you went away. <laughs> this is where we first start to see Hamilton rising in Washington's esteem. Yeah. The two of them were increasingly finding that their views for a strong national government matched quite closely. However, in July there was finally a breakthrough. There would be a legislative branch that would make laws, and it would have two houses, just like the British system, the lower house, the House of Representatives, and the upper house, the Senate. And yes, their obsession with the Romans comes from again there. Hmm. Where the compromise came was how the representation would work. The House, the House of Representatives, would be proportional. A percentage of the House seats would go to each state depending on population. The Senate would have two seats per state. Okay. This led to a disagreement over population sizes. You spot what the problem's going to be? You've got a state with just two people in then. It's not that. The southern states were adamant that their slaves should count as population. Ah, I'm with you. Yeah. Now, okay, in every other sense, we regard them as property, but if it helps us, of course they're people. Yeah. Was essentially their argument. Well, they walk on two legs. Yeah. The northern states, obviously opposed to this, these were mainly smaller states yeah. with smaller populations. They also had far, far fewer slaves so would have less representation. Therefore, the North found themselves arguing that slaves should not count as people, whilst at the same time, the South were continuing to defend a slave economy. I'd like to think at least one person in the room at this point just stopped just for a moment to really appreciate how awful this moment was. That's, that's genuinely hor horrific. Yeah. <laughs> There's no good side in this. No. No. You can't shine it up. Yeah. Well, a compromise takes place... Compromise usually quite good, yeah? Yeah. Mm. This is a bit of a blight, shall we say, to say the least. All states would count their free population, and then they would add three-fifths of their slave population. Oh. So in the Constitution, it essentially states that black people are worth three-fifths of white people. Wow. Yes. That's slim there, isn't oh, it? Oh, yes. Oh. Yeah. That's a bit uncomfortable. A little bit. Is that still legal? Well, there are no slaves, so that doesn't count anymore. Okay. So it, it's declared very clearly slaves. Well, no, the word slaves on is not used. They had a meeting to discuss whether sh they should use the word slaves. 
<laughs> they kind of realise that using the word slaves is uh, not a good idea. No, um, I can't remember the exact wording. I forgot to put a note down, but it's along the lines of people who are forced to work. It's a, it's a really uh, rubbish euphemism that they've got in there. That's absolutely shocking. Now, of course, this isn't to say everyone was happy with this. I mean, obviously, people weren't. It wasn't long after this was written that someone described it as an agreement with hell. Yeah, it's it was generally seen as not good, but no. it was the compromise that was made on the day. Talk then turned to the executive branch. There was real fear of the higher classes in the country turning the US into a monarchy at this point, which <laughs> might seem crazy nowadays, but back then it was a justifiable fear. Well, it happened all the way through the, the, the Roman Empire, didn't it? It's like they didn't want kings. They were scared of kings. They didn't want it. it yeah. The bad days. Exactly. I mean, the parallels. Uh, there are so many of them. <laughs> there was a lot of discussion as to how much power the President of the United States should have. Washington at this point remained mostly silent. It was an unspoken agreement by this time that the first president was going to be Washington. <laughs> so he just had to sit in this meeting, lead the meeting, whilst people decided what his job was going to be, essentially. One of the few times he did comment was when one delegate tried to limit the size of the federal army to 3,000 men. They did not like the idea of a big standing army. That's what Britain had. We're not Britain. We're better than that. We're a public. We're relying on militias. Washington, being a leader of armies, realised that militias are a bit rubbish, and having a standing army is a really good idea. Most, yeah. So he, well, was, he would know. That's from his his experience. experience. Yeah. So he replied, "Should no foreign army invade the United States at any time with no more than three thousand men, that would be fine." <laughs> <laughs> Which I quite like as a reply. <laughs> Little dick. Yeah. Eventually, however, it was all ironed out. In September 1787, the Constitution was finally agreed upon. It was decided that nine states had to ratify it before it became law. Washington heads home. On the way back, two of his horses fell off a bridge. <laughs> yes, nearly pulling his carriage into the river. Oh, right, okay. Yes, no, it was quite dangerous. A lucky escape <laughs> for him there. Imagine, like, back in his farm. Just two horses randomly fell off the bridge. <laughs> Just two horses in the distance. Nice <laughs> yeah. silhouettes. The sun setting. Oh, look at the two horses on that bridge. Oh, dear. <laughs> so he's back home. He's in Mount Vernon. By January 1788, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, Georgia, and Connecticut had all ratified. Washington's nerves start to build. He must have been in agony waiting to see if he would be president by this point. He also realised if Virginia didn't ratify, he couldn't really take the job. No. He can't be president if his state's not going to ratify. Yeah, yeah. So he starts trying to convince people in Virginia of the strength of the Constitution. Although, in private, he did worry that it wasn't going to last. <laughs> yes, he had some private reservations, but he did not let that show. By May, Massachusetts, Maryland and South Carolina had signed up. Only one more state needed to ratify for it to take hold. Virginia held its meeting to discuss Ooh. whether to ratify. And after four days, it was finally decided that they would indeed be the ninth state. And therefore, the Constitution would be taken on nationwide. Nice. Not a bit damper on, but what about the states that didn't ratify and didn't agree with it? Ah, well, come to that. Because okay. at this point, someone rushed into the uh, the meeting to announce that New Hampshire had ratified a couple of days ago. Oh. <laughs> Which nice. must have really taken the wind out of some sails. Uh, <laughs> we are the yeah. ninth. We are the ones who made our oh, New Hampshire got, got there before us. Damn you all to hell. <laughs> Fine, we'll be tenth then. 
<laughs> New York followed soon after. So that's okay. 11 states ratified. Only two have not. Interesting. But that's enough. It's done. Mm. Only nine needed to do it. The Constitution has taken effect. A president needs to be found. Washington. Now, who could we pick? <laughs> Said Washington, looking around all theatrically. Can't think who. Wishing that there was a president uniform already that he could wear to the first meeting. Well, he made himself a badge, but it was a bit, you know, a bit, bit. handmade. <laughs> Just said top prez on it. Yeah. Little star. Little picture of Lincoln. <laughs> Washington found himself on the verge of becoming president of a new nation. But equally, he was not 100% certain if he actually really wanted this job. There was a lot of doubt. Understandably, this is a big undertaking. Mm. Also, his farm's not doing very well. <laughs> of course. Yeah. He, he just wasn't sure if anyone would live up to this pressure. He wasn't entirely convinced the Constitution would work. But... In the end, he was persuaded, mainly by himself, that someone had to do this job, and there was no one better to do it than Washington at this time. And if this country was going to work, he had to step up and make it work. Mm. It helped that when the election came, he was elected unanimously by the Electoral College, Washington being the only president in history to achieve this. Nice. So he heads to New York, where it was decided the president would reside. Travelling became a nightmare. If he was fed up with being a celebrity before, it became even worse now. Wherever he went, crowds gathered and formal dinners were hosted. Eventually, he makes it to New York. Washington moves into 3 Cherry Street, which is near the modern Brooklyn Bridge, which is also near where he made his daring escape during the war. That's nice. Yeah. A large city house that opened right onto the street interestingly. Wow, yeah. Once there, he started to work on his inaugural speech. A large portion was spent on defending his decision to be the president, almost as if he was embarrassed that he was doing it. Well, I guess this is like rumour of, you know, him wanting to be king. Exactly, and that's what he was worried about. Eventually, it was decided this speech was a little little bit weak. A bit defensive. (laughs) Yeah. So a shorter, more punchy speech was written by James Madison. Mm. There's that name again. I'm I'm the president. I'm now your ki- um your kindly president. <laughs> yeah. The speech was delivered on a balcony of the town hall to the street below. Back then, few people could have heard his speech. That's good. Hey. Yeah. But many people were mightily impressed with how noble and stately he looked. Yeah. He cut a fine figure. Hmm. He raised his arms. Yeah. Party atmosphere. Everyone's really happy. Yay! Once he read the oath that had been prepared, the crowd started shouting, Huzzah! Huzzah! Long live George Washington! Aww. That's just quite nice. Just love how British they sound there. (laughs) Tally-ho, good sir. We wish you well. Then the job of putting together a brand new government starts. The most important posts were those of the Treasury Secretary, the Secretary of State, and the Secretary of War. Secretary of State. Yes. That's what Rex Tillerson, maybe. (laughs) He's the one currently, isn't he? Well, as of five minutes ago, yes. (laughs) For the Treasury, he chose Hamilton. Fair enough. Who had proved himself to be insanely hardworking and had a vision he really wanted to push that chimed with Washington's. For the State Department, he chose Thomas Jefferson, who had just come back from France. And as for war, it was Knox. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't be anyone else, could it? Oh, that image of him dragging back those cannons still... Oh, yeah. Still seared into to yeah. everyone's memory. However, it's Hamilton and Jefferson who really shine at this point. Not only are they both incredibly good at their jobs, 
they also hate each other. Yeah, nice. <laughs> they have very different visions for the new country that will dominate for the next few episodes because their two visions form two different political parties. <gasps> the, the, the donkeys and the elephants? Well, no, this is the Federalists and the Republicans, but not quite the Republicans as we know them. History books sometimes refer to them as the Democratic Republicans, just to confuse everyone, even though they're not Democrats or Republicans. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> just elephant with, like, sunglasses and a fake nose. No, okay. Yeah. Not not quite Republicans, All as right. we know them. Fair enough. <laughs> this will become clearer as we go through Thank the episodes. <laughs> Now, Washington was aware of their rivalry, but he wanted different opinions around him. He also hated party politics. Yeah. He thought it was undemocratic. So he wanted people of different opinions to be around him. Uh, yeah, not... two different opinions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, this is something he slowly abandons as things get more politically murky and difficult yeah. over his time as president. But it starts off this way. Now, not only is the big stuff going on, you've got to realise that you're setting up a government here, you've got to do all the big things, but you've also got to do all of the little things. There are no precedents whatsoever. So, for example, no one knew how to address Washington. Georgie Boy was scratched off the list straight away. El Presidente. Yeah, that one went quite quickly. Uh, the vice president, a man named John Adams, wanted something with dignity. His Excellency Protector of Liberties. Ooh, that's nice. George shut that down right away. <laughs> no, you can call me, get this, the President of the United States, because I'm the President of the United States. That makes sense. Yeah, and everyone went, oh, okay. That that's, makes more sense. I suppose so. The days tick by and routines gradually start. The house that they were in was far too small for all the people who lived and worked there, and it did not help that one of the secretaries was also writing a play at the time and would walk the corridors at night reciting his lines. That's hilarious. <laughs> a story that really sums up what this new government was like. It feels a bit slapdash at the moment, doesn't it? A bit part-time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The president spends two days a week in the office and then the rest of the time farming. They're starting. Yeah. Getting up on their feet. Every Tuesday, Washington would allow people from the public to come and talk to him. Nice. He really did not want to be seen as royal. The people needed access to him. Yeah. So the doors of his drawing room would open at three o'clock every Tuesday, and Washington would be stood each time by the fireplace with a ceremonial sword wearing a black velvet suit. Nice. Oh, yes. That is cool. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Image of him silhouetted against the fire there in his black velvet suit. Gleaming sword. And if you're wearing a black velvet suit, it's obviously going to be flared. Oh, yes. <laughs> I have no evidence of this, but there's no way they're not flared. No, of course. So that's what Washington's that's wearing. Amazing. Massive lapels. <laughs> yes. He would listen for an hour, and then at four o'clock sharp, he would leave. <laughs> so as I was saying... Pre oh, oh, hello? Oh, he's George? gone. <laughs> yeah. Georgie boy? No. His excellence... Ironically, he was criticised by some for this, saying this was a bit too much like holding court, a bit too much like being a king. He was a bit damned if he did, damned if he didn't. It was mm. George Washington at this point. But I, I see it as an attempt to try and actually see the people. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how it all started off. But it's not long before the first crisis. Washington became ill. Oh, no. So ill that people feared for his life. The street outside was closed completely and covered in straw so he could get more rest. What? Oh, footsteps. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Brilliant. Not not the image you really want to, to portray. No. Do you think, like, before people walked onto the street, there's just, like, a row of guards, you know, put sponges on your shoes, put the horse mufflers on. Yeah. 
You there. You, yes, you, the tap dancer. You're not coming down here. <laughs> Go around. Put the trombone away. Are they bagpipes? <laughs> yeah, well, Washington was not in a good way. He had uh, a huge abscess in his thigh. Ooh. That had to be operated on. Ooh, not then. Oh, yes. A doctor was called to remove this. Ooh. The doctor declared that he, the doctor, was too old to go through such an ordeal. That's that's not what you want to hear your doctor saying. <laughs> I'm too old for this. <laughs> <laughs> How old are you? 24. <laughs> well, <laughs> the doctor said, don't worry, my son will do the surgery. The son cut into Washington's leg. And the doctor said, cut deeper still. See how well he bears the pain. It's not an experiment. <laughs> no. Keep going until he goes out. <laughs> until he's weeping. It's not deep enough. <laughs> yeah, th- this was incredibly painful for Washington. Of course he it was. was. Bedridden for weeks afterwards. This is not the best of starts. But the work obviously could not stop. In order to appease those still not happy with the Constitution... Don't forget, North Carolina and Rhode Island had not ratified still. Mm. And there was quite a bit of grumbling. There's a lot of people in all the states that had ratified that still weren't really happy. So to try and uh, appease these people, 17 amendments were drafted. Now, Washington and others realised the obvious weakness of a written constitution. A written constitution has its strengths, but its obvious weakness is that it is inflexible. Mm. And you need to have some bend for things that change over time. Yeah. So they took they took this into account, and they yeah. there is a way to change the constitution through amendments. You can make changes yeah. should you need to. So straight away it was decided let's make some amendments. Let's show that this amendment process can work. So seventeen amendments were drafted. This was then cut down to twelve. Ten of them were accepted. This became known as the Bill of Rights, as they dealt with the rights for people not to be prosecuted for writing newspaper articles. Or freedom of speech, sort of thing. Yeah. That's Amendment 1, isn't it? Yes. The rights for states to have their own militia, so if the British come along again, they could fight back. To right to bear arms, to protect yourself. Yeah, number two. Also not being forced to house soldiers in your own house. That's the Third Amendment. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Is it? Oh, yeah, no, no, it is. Yeah. Uh, the, generally, what this was was a list of things that the British had done that really annoyed everyone. Nice. And they drew up a list of things that said, don't worry, guys, we're not going to do this. Good. That is essentially the Bill of Rights. It, it is quite annoying when we even now have to put up soldiers in our houses. Yeah. I had three SAS soldiers last week. It, it's, it's quite frustrating. It is. It is. You're trying to shower. Yeah. They just commando into the room. Yeah, but they cook up a very fine hot pot. They do. They do, so it swings and roundabouts. <laughs> so due to these amendments, the final two states finally ratify, and the United States are truly finally united for a time. <laughs> Washington then went on tour, packed up all his stuff, put on his touring T-shirt, going to travel up north to the northern states. He was a southerner himself. Let's go and uh, make sure the northern states are all right. He soon came to hate the crowds and would attempt to sneak into town unnoticed, very rarely succeeding this. Why is that bright neon T-shirt? <laughs> it didn't help. Washington on tour. It didn't help. <laughs> yeah. Well, occasionally when he like snuck into a village or a town using a different road, someone would just spot him and the entire welcome committee would just up sticks and move to him. Oh, you would, though, wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. You have to, you have to. It's, it's George Washington. You've got to yeah. welcome him. He's our prez. Yeah. Uh, Washington hates this, though. Really gets fed up of it. But there's not much he can do. The only thing he does seem to enjoy on the tour was the ladies. 
Wait. Martha doesn't come on tour. He starts <laughs> at this point to estimate how many ladies there were at each and every dinner party hosted in his honour. A couple of quotes from his diary here. Upward of 100 ladies, many of them very handsome. Another one. 75 well-dressed and handsome ladies, among whom were a greater portion with black hair than you find in the southern states. Pervy president. He's a pervy president, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> yes. Although, should be said, despite how easily he possibly could have used his position of power to uh, to abuse that position, there was no evidence that he does. That's good. But he, he did like to uh, estimate how many ladies were in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Restrained frustration, it feels like. <laughs> yes. It says something about the state of the country at this point, that the presidential convoy quite often had to ask for directions. Nice. And the locals often would just send them the wrong way, just because, it. let's face it, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they wanted him to go and visit their own village. But yeah, they quite often yeah. ended up going the wrong way. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, back down that way. Down that road down there. They head down that direction. And like two weeks later, back the way, really annoyed. <laughs> we ended up in Canada. <laughs> Where? <laughs> Eventually, he returns to New York, and the job of building a country continues. Lighthouses are starting to be built, postal services starting, custom houses, etc., etc. Everything needs to be done. Now, all of this is part of Alexander Hamilton's vision. He wanted to build up an industrious nation that used banks, debts, and taxes to stimulate growth. In essence, he wanted to follow a British model of commerce. Now, as you can imagine, this has its opposition, hmm. especially with Secretary of State Jefferson, who saw the future of the country with strong small state governments running an agricultural economy. Which mm. was then, then you reliant on, on weather and seasons, unfortunately. Well, there is that. So you've got small farms, small government against big government banks. Those are the two opposing views at the moment. I wonder which one wins. <laughs> we will see. <laughs> Hamilton's plan was for the national government to take on state debts, pooling them together and therefore making investors tied to the federal government, strengthening it. Jefferson, so all the money goes to the government? Yeah. Well, the debts with the debts, government. Yeah, yeah. But it means that people are now invested in the government doing well. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Yes. Yes. That's clever. Jefferson hates this idea. He wants a weaker government. He wants the states to remain stronger. Washington attempts to stay neutral, but really he backs Hamilton. In the end, Jefferson and Hamilton sat down and compromised once more. Jefferson would agree to back Hamilton's financial plans if Hamilton agreed that the new capital for the country would be built in Virginia. Hamilton, probably attempting to hide his smirk at this point, agrees. He didn't care where the capital was, as long as the bank stayed in New York. Mm. Pop the capital wherever you want. Yeah. Jefferson came out of the meeting feeling smug, but eventually would grumble that this was the biggest political mistake he ever made. Still, the new federal city was going to be built along the Potomac River. The president would get to choose where. That's what the decision was. Washington pulls out a map. Ooh, this area looks nice. What, what area is this? This is the area ju just north of Mount Vernon, sir. <laughs> that, that's where you're pointing to. Oh, yeah, that's it. That's the one. Maybe we could build the capital there. It's a great place. <laughs> yeah. So this new federal city would be right, right next to, to Washington's land, which would skyrocket in value. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
It was agreed that for the next 10 years, the president would stay in Philadelphia and then move to the new city. That sounds odd, doesn't it? Next 10 years. I guess the post of president. But had, it been, had the four-year thing come in yet? The four-year per term had, but you could have as many terms as you wanted. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, out of New York and move to Philadelphia. That's now the plan. However, once Washington moved, there was an uncomfortable, unforeseen problem. Philadelphia was in Pennsylvania. And as we have seen, Pennsylvania was winner of the Most Kindest Colony Award. Yes. Yes. And was continuing this good record as a state because anti-slavery laws had been introduced. Ooh. Yes. There was a law in effect that stated if any slave was resident in Pennsylvania for more than six months, they would be free. Interesting. So if you, if the president brought his slaves over, he'd have to keep a rotation going. And that's exactly what he does. Okay. <laughs> yes. Washington was forced to send his slaves back to Mount Vernon twice a year. Now, he made it look like he was doing this for the slaves. It's a favour to you. Go back and visit your family. This was actually so he wouldn't have to give up his slaves. Yeah. It's also around this time that slavery hits the political headlines because Britain passes its first anti-slavery law. Ooh. There's a huge swelling of anti-slavery feeling in the country. But Washington, fearing economic issues, possibly even civil war, decides to kick this hot potato down the road. Mixing my metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> Someone else in the future deal with it. Yeah. It's fine. Part of the Constitution stated, this is yet another one of the great compromises, that the slave trade would be protected for 20 years. So no one was allowed to talk about this until 1808. Washington maintains, no, we must stick with the Constitution. We cannot discuss this. Interesting. I mean, you can see the political bind he's in. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's in the Constitution. You can't go tearing that up straight away. The southern yeah. states would have a thing or two to say about that. Mm. That's their economy. Equally, however... <laughs> yeah. It's not great, is it? Yeah, it's not. <laughs> Still, life in Philadelphia was much better than in New York. It was seen as a, just generally a better place to be. But this did not stop the political wrangling as Hamilton proposed a national bank in the style of the Bank of England. Ooh. Yeah. Again, Jefferson argued against it. Again, Washington sided with Hamilton. The South was starting to grumble. Washington keeps siding with this northerner. <laughs> So Washington decides to tour the South this time. Again, he seemed to hate the entire journey, apart from noting down the number of ladies he saw. Nice. Yeah. This tour took its toll on Washington, and the abscess in his leg returned. Ooh. When he got back, he spent another month bedridden. Oh dear. So while Washington is in bed, Hamilton and Jefferson continue to argue, this time over foreign affairs. The French Revolution had begun. Jefferson and his faction were very happy about this. I love it, yeah. They saw this as a sequel to their own revolution. Mm. However, Hamilton and his supporters, so the Federalists, were a little bit more reserved. Things seem to be getting a little bit uh, out of hand over there. Shall I... we just take a step back here, shall we? We don't need to get too involved. I guess so, because any... Even if you don't really have a, a monarchy, they're not rebelling against monarchy, they're just rebelling against power. Well, very, very, very Yeah, and this is simple. the trouble with the French Revolution. It began with a rebellion against the monarchy, and then it turned into a rebellion against rebellion, and then it turned into a rebellion against that rebellion, and yeah. oh, it just turned into a bloodbath. Big snowbally bloodbath. The French Revolution was not like the American Revolution. No. No. Now, before long, the two factions in the government could be summed up by 
the Jeffersonian Francophiles and the Hamiltonian Anglophiles. Hmm. However, that's a bit of a mouthful, so people started saying Federalists and Republicans. Washington despaired as these factions grew. As I said, he fully believed that political parties were anti-democratic. People should have freedom to believe in what they wanted individually, not follow parties. Yes, but if you follow that party, that's democratic, right? Uh, you follow an ideology. But I guess, though, when you follow a party, they're never going to agree 100% with what you believe. You, yeah. It's always a best fit, isn't it? So I get the point, but it's good to have a group to, to get behind let's not forget there were no parties in roman times no and everyone was obsessed with the romans yeah but i guess there were parties just weren't formalized yeah exactly there were the factions and these are just factions at the moment they're not formal parties but they're factions that are becoming more and more acrimonious towards each other it's because of this split that washington getting to the end of his first term decides to step down or at least he thinks about it Because he is very quickly persuaded, mainly by Hamilton, that you can't step down now. There's no one else. <laughs> there, there's no one else. It's just, government's not strong enough. Now, Washington, to begin with, didn't even want to do a full term. He was planning to do a couple of years and then pass it on. But he slowly and grudgingly comes to realise that there, there's no one else who can steer this mm. ship. Yeah. So he'll do it. He'll stay on for another term. But that's it, right? <laughs> no more. <laughs> Six terms later. (laughs) However, this does lead to the Republicans starting to mutter and grumble and printing rumours about Washington being a Federalist and wanting to make himself king. They were obsessed with this by this point. Washington was fed up with his Secretary of State by this point and bluntly told him, I do not believe that there are ten men in the United States whose opinions are worth attention who entertain such a thought. Nice. This does not stop the rumours, though. No. No. By this point, Madison and Jefferson, both of them working for Washington, are secretly publishing articles against him in the newspaper. Oh, dear. Yeah. Despite this, Washington was elected again unanimously. But from now on, he had to face a continual hostile press, originating from the Republican side, most of them writing under Roman pseudonyms. (laughs) Jeffy (laughs) A. Yes. Meanwhile, things in France were getting bad, shall we say. Now, obviously, there's no time to go into details of the French Revolution, but the uh, the section known as the Reign of Terror was about to start. <laughs> <laughs> the, the king was beheaded, and France had declared war on Britain, and everyone was dying horribly. Horribly, horribly. Yeah. In a very quick and efficient way, though. Well, sort of. I mean, this was also around the time people were being tied up and thrown into lakes in big groups because that was the quickest way to kill people. It wasn't good. You sort of, yeah, you sort of don't think about... Well, I I never really thought about the French Revolution and and how bad it really was. Oh, it it was You get snippets, but you don't really appreciate it. Yeah. Now, the Republicans were very pro-French Revolution, but it was getting harder and harder to justify that as Mm. more and more brutal stories came out of France. Now, a lot of the stories were denounced as as being fake. It's propaganda by the British. Mm. But slowly but surely, people were starting to realise things aren't good in France. No. No. We should probably cancel our holiday. (laughs) Yes, definitely. (laughs) Don't fancy that weekend in Paris anymore. Now, if you remember, France had only asked for one thing for their help in the American Revolution. Oh, yeah. All you have to do is come and help us the next time we're at war with the British. Ah. 
Jefferson obviously wanted to help, mm. as did many people. The French came over, and it's not just helped us. If it wasn't for the French, we wouldn't have won the War of Independence. And everyone right. was very aware of that fact. Obviously, we need to go and help them out. Hamilton argued, our deal was with the French king. Ooh. The French king's dead. Do we really need to honour this? Well, good. Mm. Washington, despite seeing how tacky this argument is... <laughs> did agree that the US could simply not afford to get involved. They're just not powerful enough at this time to help out. Yeah, let's execute the better half of Valor here and, you know, not do anything. Yeah, they declared neutrality. Fair enough. Yeah. The Republicans grumbled. It was at this point citizen Genet arrived. <laughs> Where is he from? Or Gennett, depending on how you pronounce his <laughs> name. He was an envoy from France, who wasted no time trying to get the US to side with the French. Not happy simply trying political discussion to do this, he also attempted to do things such as recruit people to start uprisings in Canada and Florida. Ooh. Yeah. He soon became a celebrity and was firing people up. Riots began in all of the major cities. He was a whirlwind of destruction. Washington, understandably, was worried. The French Revolution was increasingly looking more like a bloodbath, and here was this crazy Frenchman trying to stir things up in his fragile new country. I reckon he was a mime. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I've got this image of white makeup. Are you just going stereotypical Frenchman here? Oh, yes. Baguette under the arm. Yeah. Miming the tyranny of monarchy. Yes. Using his baguette. Yes. Right, okay. <laughs> but ironically, he was actually doing something else. Yeah. But everyone read it in that way. Oh. So he fired it up with no intention of doing that. Oh. I'm sure that happened, yeah. Well, fortunately for Washington... There was soon a letter from France asking for Genet to be returned to be put on trial for crimes against the people. A declare salum. <laughs> Is exactly what he did. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the revolution in France had got to the stage where it was eating itself and no one was safe. Mm. Yeah. So Genet asked for asylum. Washington grits his teeth and says, yes, you can stay here, but seriously, stop firing up the population. We've just about got things sorted over here. At least give us some sort of big copper statue in the future. <laughs> yes, give us something. Genet kind of takes that on board, but Washington can't help but notice there are one or two more Republican societies springing up at this point. Mm. A few more articles in the newspaper than before that were anti-federalist. And weirdly in French. <laughs> yeah. Which <laughs> is a big clue. So things continue to be tense. You really get the sense here that a second revolution was about to happen in America. People were not happy. Mm. But then one thing happened which calmed everyone down. Right away. Yellow fever. Yeah, that does calm you down. <laughs> well, in a sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, everyone suddenly got very, very ill. Philadelphia was evacuated. Oh, wow. Yeah, the government went down to a skeleton staff. Everything just stopped working for a while. Eventually, after several months, the city managed to return to normal. But by this point, Jefferson had had enough of Washington, always siding with Hamilton, and he quits. Washington insisted that he sided with Jefferson and the Republicans as often as Hamilton and the Federalists, but the <laughs> Republicans simply did not believe him. <laughs> he hadn't sided with us on 
anything. <laughs> you constantly... I mean, you, you, Hamilton has been employee of the month 13 times in the last year. <laughs> How is this even possible with Washington? And Washington just kind of like, yeah, but the other day you asked, do I prefer red or blue? I said blue. And that's what you said, Jefferson. So, you know, I do go with you sometimes. Washington couldn't dwell on Jefferson leaving too much because there were other worries. Hamilton's whole economic plan revolved around taxing people to fund the government. Hmm. As we've seen, people didn't like to be taxed in the Americas. No. No. Why should I? What have you done for me? There was one particular thing that was being taxed that they really, really, really got annoyed by. Tobacco, farming, land. Whiskey. No. Yes. Not the golden liquor. <laughs> the fire of life. God's tears. <laughs> yes. Whiskey was being taxed. No. I know. I mean, that's... That's inhumane. Well, protests had turned into full-blown armed insurrection. Good. About six to 7,000 men, all of them with hip flasks. <laughs> Slightly wobbly with their guns. <laughs> yeah. But would make no difference to the accuracy. <laughs> no, not that then. <laughs> Washington, with dismay, realised that the federal troops that he had, which were not many, were not large enough to put this down, so he was forced to call upon the militia from several states, something he really, really found annoying. Mm. Still, he obtains about 13,000 men. Donning a freshly made uniform, he then became the only sitting US president in history to lead troops into battle. I say into battle, no battle actually took place. No. Having nearly double the numbers against them, and all of them feeling a bit worse for wear, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> the, the rebels realised that they, they were willing to pay a bit extra on their whiskey. I've got a bitch of a hangover. <laughs> the rebellion was put down without a fight. However, it was not long before the next crisis. A copy of a treaty with the British arrived on his desk. Now, Washington had previously sent John Jay to go and hammer out some problems they were having with the former mother country. Namely, the fact the British kept doing things like stopping American ships, telling the sailors that they were actually British and forcing them to serve in the Royal Navy. Ooh, press-ganging. Yeah. <laughs> not, not on, really. No. No. <laughs> Especially back then. You, are you British? No. Can you prove it? No. <laughs> speak English? We've still all got the same accents. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so... <laughs> What's the name of the king? George III? You're clearly British. <laughs> yeah, so um, people were being press-ganged. Uh, apparently people were trying to tattoo themselves with American things to prove they were American. But what was American back then? I don't know. Whiskey. George Washington's face, like, on their chest. Nice. Life-size. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> that was popular back then. Yeah. So, understandably, this was annoying the Americans slightly. Yeah. So, John Jay was meant to be going and sorting stuff like that out. So, unfortunately, this treaty that came back didn't solve that. In fact, it also gave Britain huge benefits in trade. Not great. They'd be first to trade with and have certain trade rights over other countries. And yeah, it really, really didn't look good. It looked almost like they were going back to the colonial days. Oh, dear. Yeah. However, Washington also realised that the British said they would withdraw from the Great Lake area. The US could trade with the British West Indies, so that opens up that trade. Mm -hmm. And, oh, this, this one was important. We won't go to war. <laughs> 
that that's that's nice because Washington realised that there is no way France can help out at the moment. No. And Britain realised that as well. Ooh. Your Frenchy pals are not helping you out this time. No. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, that's devious, isn't it? But yeah. at the same time, brilliant. So Washington in a bit of a bind here. He realises that the Republicans are going to despise this. Yeah. But there's not much he can do. No. And there are actually some benefits in the treaty. Yes. But it's not good. It's 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 limiting export, but yeah. But at the same time, you do have a consistent place to sell. Yeah, and that's good. Pros and cons. Yeah, yeah more more cons than pros. But there were some pros. So he asked Hamilton, who had also recently retired by this point. Right. He's on his, his second lot of secretaries who just simply weren't as good. So I've not mentioned them. Um, <laughs> Washington himself clearly thinks so because it's Hamilton he turns to at this point. And he asks Hamilton, what do you think about this treaty? Here's a copy of the treaty. Hamilton, in typical style of Hamilton, replied with 57 pages of reasons why to accept the treaty. Nice. We are definitely doing an episode on Hamilton at some He's point. an Anglophile, isn't he, really? So Washington's definitely thinking, I'm, I'm going to have to do this. Mm. As long as I can keep it from the public, <laughs> as long as it doesn't get leaked until we vote on it, it should be fine. Is this the first time now it's been actually been leaked on this podcast? <laughs> no. Are we telling America for the first time? <laughs> I, I wish this was an exclusive, but no, because it wasn't long afterwards that a Republican paper got a copy of the treaty oh. and published many details. There was public outrage. Here was the government siding once again with the British over the French. They're good friends, the French, who helped them win independence. Oh, yeah. Jay was openly called a traitor in many areas of the country. Washington also receives countless letters. A lot he refused to even reply to because, and I quote, they were too rude to merit one. <laughs> That's not even possible to do you to your own mother. <laughs> Things like that. Yeah. It is testament to Washington's popularity and influence that he was able to weather this storm and get the treaty passed only just. Yeah. It scraped through. But his reputation was damaged once more, and the Republicans held a caucus. The first official meeting. This is really the point where they go from a faction to an actual party. Washington was fed up by this point. He stated, and I quote, he had been vilified in indecent terms that could scarcely be applied to the Emperor Nero. He felt hard done by. Yeah. Understandably. Yeah. <laughs> Quite possibly. Republicans start refusing to toast to their president. Oh. So around this time, he decided, you know what? I'm going to retire. <laughs> he didn't need to. Because there was nothing in the Constitution stating how many terms a president could hold. So he mm. could have stayed on. And many people wanted him to stay on. But his stepping down at this point sets the precedent that would last until World War II. Presidents would only serve two terms at most. He then wrote a farewell speech that was very long and full of bitterness. <laughs> and another thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hamilton took one look at it and immediately rewrote it. <laughs> Washington after admitted that it was, and I quote, more dignified on the whole and with less egotism. Though Washington himself realised, yeah, maybe I went a bit far on that one. <laughs> you didn't even know what you had. So just like his stepping down at the end of the war, his stepping down from being president sent shockwaves throughout the world. Nice. George III stated at this point that this proved that Washington was the greatest character 
of the age. George III grew to respect George Washington quite a bit after the war. Can't help but feel that the uh, feeling was not mutual. One newspaper wrote, If ever a nation had suffered from the improper influence of a single man, the American nation has suffered from the influence of George Washington. Auburn. Yeah. However, this was definitely the minority. A majority of people celebrated, especially celebrating a peaceful transfer of power that took place. The election was held and the Federalist Vice President, John Adams, beat Jefferson to become the second president. Washington then returned home at last to Mount Vernon, passing the future White House as he went back home. Oh, was it being built? As he was... Oh, yeah, throughout all of this... Washington, D.C., not known as that at that time. Mm. Federalist City was being built throughout these eight years of him being president. They were hurriedly laying down plans for it. Nice. It's fascinating how quickly they decided, right, we're building a capital. Nice. It's going to be here. And in the middle of no state, in the middle of, was it Maryland and... Well, it's in Virginia and Maryland on the the border. It's on the border, yeah. Yeah. It counts as stateless. Yes, exactly. It was decided it wouldn't be in a state. So, yeah, he passes the, uh, the White House with the scaffolding on it, as he goes back home. Nice. Yes. And finally, he, he arrives home, and he retires. Not for long, though. A couple of years later, he goes out riding in cold weather, hail and snow. He got home and did not change. He sat down and he had some food. He went to bed. Still in the same clothes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not changing. The next day, he awoke struggling to breathe. The doctors were summoned. It did not matter how much blood they let... George was deteriorating. <laughs> <laughs> Will any more blood be? He's just deteriorating every every minute. Every pint we relieve of him, he gets worse. I don't understand. George Washington died in December 1799, oh. age 67. His last words were, "'Tis well to his wife, Martha." Oh. There you go. That's George Washington. No, oh, he's dead. Yeah, he is. Mm. That's going to happen a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dr. George Washington. <laughs> Poor guy. So what do you think? Oh, it's interesting. Yeah. Let's judge him for the first time. Okay, so in this round, we are judging on what did he do for the country or his party or the people he was trying to help. And I think, in many ways, this is just simply outstanding. Yeah, he does as much as he can to of what's best for the country. Even when he knows things aren't great, it's like, no. well, it's in our best interest to sort of do that. Let's face it, he restored American credit. He assumed the state debts. He created a national bank. He created a mint. He created a Coast Guard, a custom service, a tax system. Coast Guard? Oh, yeah, the Coast Guard was created. You mean him. he created the first ever Baywatch? Yeah, yeah. It wow. was him who... I mean, the shorts weren't red. They were blue and buff, but they were still the same <laughs> dimensions. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Shocking for the time. Yeah, it was. Controversial. It's like, why are you all running really, really slowly? Yeah. It was only once California became a state did the red shorts come out. Ah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he did that and many, many other things as well. He managed to maintain peace with France and Britain. In very trying times, yeah. Yeah. It would be very easy not to. You've got a very annoyed Britain who are still smarting from losing the war. And you've got a France in complete turmoil. Yeah, yeah. Both countries are hugely more powerful than you. 
and you need to try and maintain this middle ground and not annoy either of them too much. Yeah. Far, far harder than it initially sounds. So uh, he managed to do all that, but possibly even more importantly than all of that, he managed to implement the Constitution yeah. and created countless precedents for others to follow. Yes, that's why they named the title after him as well, Precedent. Yes, that's where that word came from. Um, he retired twice. <laughs> the US so easily could have been a dictatorship or a monarchy at this point, but he didn't do it, and he could have done Oh, easily. If you really wanted to just take over the country, you probably could have done. He sort of did, but in a in an agreeable way. Yeah, exactly. And that stepping down from power, that peaceful transfer of power to John Adams, that giving up the army when he didn't need to, mm. is huge. Yeah, yeah. So there's all that bad, and there's the obvious two problems, yeah. <laughs> which is just going to keep coming up for quite some time. The first one, he didn't really do anything to ease tensions between the US and the Native Americans. One historian summed it up as a well-meaning failure on his part. Fighting continued throughout his presidency, and little was done to aid relations from the federal government. Sandow's quite quite busy, though, with lots of other things. Sort of like, you deal with that, I've got... I'm trying to just sort... Yeah, you can understand that maybe this wasn't the highest thing on his agenda. That's just a minutia at the side. I'm not really... But equally, these are problems in his country that really need to be sorted out. Yeah, of course. So, maybe we can cut him a bit of slack on that. However, um, the next one is a bit trickier. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) If ever there was a time to deal with the obvious problem of slavery in this country, and it was obvious to everyone at the time, majority of people thought that slavery was awful mm. but you had a powerful minority who wanted to keep it because it made them money yeah and, and that was a problem mm. it's going to have to be dealt with at some point dealing with it at the start would have made a lot of sense but he signed a thing saying no well I understand the political bind he's in exactly it was that compromise let's He's not talk about it but quite frankly kicking the can down the road for future generations is is irresponsible. Not really, because if you'd have tackled it, they would have said, well, you're not following the Constitution, everything's invalid. Oh, no, no, I'm saying tackle it even before that, whilst the Constitution Uh, was being written. Right. Is that his fault on his own? How much could he have done? Because he stayed pretty neutral on everything, as I think he rightly should have done. Well, yeah, his neutrality as a president gives him a huge amount of score. I'm not saying all presidents should be neutral on all things, but the first president, it was the perfect way to do things. It was a very tricky political situation, Mm. but just because it's tricky doesn't mean it shouldn't have been done. So I think I'm going to have to knock knock something off. Yeah. But I'm not going to knock a huge amount off just because everything he did do was just very, very good. I I agree. Um, But I can't give him a full 10 because it wasn't perfect. No, no, of course course not. I'm going to give him an 8 I think that's a fair score. Nate, oh, I, I'm I'm actually more impressed. I was going to go for nine. I was going to knock him really? a point off for not managing to deal with the slavery problem at the start. But, I mean, it was a, such a hard political situation. He was trapped in a bind. He was trapped in a bind. Um, you're going to stick with your eight? Yes. I'm going to go for nine. That is a 17 for statesmanship. Damn good score. Very good score. That is very high. Okay, next round. Disgrace games. Okay, this round we look at things that are scandalous, things that are just a bit disgraceful to the yeah. 
the name of being president. His leery eye for the women. <laughs> well, exactly. Um, <laughs> in this round, we will award points out of ten each, but it will appear as a minus number, knocking their score down. Like it. Yeah. So the more points they get, the more points we knock off. Yeah, which we don't do for the Romans, but for the Romans, that's like ancient history, and it's just a bit of fun. But it's, it's just, <laughs> it just feels wrong awarding points for some terrible things that some people that's did. That's true, yeah. So we're going to go for minus numbers in this one. So, disgrace gate for George Washington, very, very little. He was straight-laced. He was very proper. He was a, a proper gentleman. Yeah. Saying that, though, we do have two things. One small thing and one large thing. The small one. He was a bit pervy on his road trips. <laughs> but like I say, there's no record of him using his fame and power to actually act upon this. So perhaps not really worthy of a point. A pervy gentleman. Yeah. <laughs> he appreciated the ladies. Very quietly and just very intense staring. Yeah, it's like counting them is a bit weird. Yeah. 30% have dark hair. <laughs> 60% have blonde hair. 10% have red hair. Yeah. Red hairs are down from last week. <laughs> Parby really hopes he was like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Kept a spreadsheet and everything. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, there is that. Okay, so that's the small one. Large one. His personal attitude towards his slaves was, to put it bluntly, not good. It's the whole thing of, you know, it's all well and good saying what you believe. But it's how you act that really, truly shows what you actually Yeah, do. and this is how he acted. His diary is littered with him getting frustrated at slaves for not working hard enough despite all he's provided for them. Oh. Yeah, it's a constant bugbear of his that these slaves don't appreciate him enough. He, You're the master, no wonder! <laughs> he expected an 87-year-old slave to still work and was frustrated when he was slowing down. Uh-huh. He once approached a slave with a broken arm and showed him how he could still work by picking up a rake with one hand and using it. You get the feel that like he wasn't doing it to be an arse. He was just trying to be helpful, but not really understanding that he's not being helpful. Yeah, he... he genuinely saw it as if he was doing these slaves a favour by not being a horrible slave owner and he couldn't understand why he wasn't appreciated and why the slaves didn't work really hard for him because he was such a good guy. That's the feeling I get from him. That he just could not quite see that these people wanted to be free because of course they wanted to be free. Something to do with whether he was a, a terrible slave owner or a relatively good slave owner People want freedom. And George Washington could not see that. And because of that, the way he acted towards people was at times not great. No. It doesn't doesn't matter how nice the prison is. A prison's a prison. Yeah, there was uh, one young slave, young female slave, near the end of his presidency who ran away. And he moved heaven and earth and actually broke some laws to try and get her back. Yeah, he would chase down people relentlessly. Uh, Despite his promise never to buy another slave after the war, because he didn't like slavery, he actually purchased a cook as late as 1797 in his last year of being a president. So he just broke that one. He, He speaks about emancipation a lot, but he did nothing in his life to support the idea. No, he didn't believe in it, did he? Well, he felt like he was saying it. No, I I don't get that impression, though, because he felt like he he thought it was the right thing to say to keep people on side. But none of his actions prove that. There so, is one action that proves it, though. He was nice. No, because I said he did nothing in his life to support the idea. The one thing he did do is in his will, 
he freed his slaves. Oh, yeah, but he doesn't need them anymore. Well, I don't think that's selfish. <laughs> well, he, he said um, they would be free once Martha had died. Martha, understandably, found herself in a house surrounded by slaves waiting for her to die so they could be free <laughs> and just went, actually, now you can be free now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so... So it's for her sake. <laughs> yeah. So um, he does actually free a lot of slaves. Now, he didn't outright own all his slaves through various different legal reasons, yeah. so he didn't free everyone. <laughs> but that he did free his slaves... So eventually, all that talk about emancipation, actually he did do it in the end, mm. but he waited till it wouldn't impact on him mm. to do it. That's my problem. Yeah. What I'm tempted to give him points in Disgracegate for is his attitude towards the individual slaves. Yeah. It's just, I, he just wasn't particularly nice to them, and he thought he was, and that's the thing. That's the thing, it's like ignorance rather than, rather yeah. than cruelty, it's just stupidity almost. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, ignorance, rather. Yeah. But it is only the one thing, and uh, an otherwise impeccable record. Mm. And we're going to have some in the future that have many, many, many things. So I don't oh, think yeah. we can uh, go too high. No. I'm thinking I'll, maybe I'll... about three -ish. I was thinking three. Yeah. I was thinking three. That's, uh, that's three apiece, so that is a minus score six. of six for Disgracegate. So whatever score he gets, we're taking off minus six. Yes, that will be a minus six in the end. Right. Next round. Silver screen. I had a thought about this when I went to the loo before we recorded this scene, this section of the podcast. <laughs> His Possibly life... <laughs> an overshare for the listener, but cut, carry on. <laughs> I, I feel that his life would make a great HBO or Netflix series. Four, four series. Like the first yeah. series, his early life, growing yeah. up. Yeah. Second series, The War. Third series, The Build of the Constitution. Fourth series, Presidency and Retirement. A bit like The Tudors. With Henry VIII, yeah. like it would break up so because I think for one film there's too much going on Ooh. for a film to well, yeah, we down. do need to just like Washington we need to lay down some precedents right here it's a silver screen round any form of dramatisation of his life that we are rewarding so we haven't even made it clear what this round is for our listeners well let's say that before then go in, then you just change what I've said just put the order of it backwards or we could just say it now save yeah. me some editing time oh, go on then. yeah so this round is uh, is how well would their life fit into a film so you, what you're asking is are we allowed to put it as a series yeah I think so because... yeah so it's well it, let's face it Series are better than films nowadays, yeah. aren't they? At least good ones are. You can develop a character more and have yeah. a bit of a character arc. Yeah. So it's a, a film or a series. How well yeah. would it work? Even as a play, why not? Yeah. A mime. Ooh. A folk song. A riddle. <laughs> <laughs> a limerick. <laughs> You're thinking of a limerick now. Yes, I am. <laughs> well, okay. Let's um. Let's look. First of all, character arc. That is an impressive character arc from George Washington. Oh, it is. Yeah, the character development in this is astonishing. He he comes across like uh, Hugh Laurie in Blackadder at the start. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he really does. Yeah, uh, and yeah. by the end you get the feeling this is a man with gravitas. He turns who... into Vimes at the end from the Terry Pratchett series. Yeah, yeah. He, he's someone you don't mess with who will get the job done and everyone respects. Yeah. The fact he's a buffoon at the beginning to the point where not even president, if you tap him on the shoulder as a joke... <laughs> he will wilt you. Yes. <laughs> yes. He'll wilt you like lettuce. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that is just hugely impressive. And let's not forget some of the amazing set pieces we could have in this film slash series. 
We've got all the skirmishes and the Wild West adventures at the start. Yeah, yeah. His guide turned round and shot him point blank, but he survived. Mm. He almost drowned in a freezing river. All of that stuff. Then you got full-blown battles where he was shot off his horse and his, his uniform <laughs> had holes in. Yeah. Um, he was being dragged along in a, in a wagon, feeling ill. Oh, his brother died in a dramatic scene. You got a Barbados bit there that yeah, you could have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all that happened. Just the setting alone. And then you've got the full-blown war. Mm. You can have all of that, all the battles. Action sequence. Action sequence after action sequence, and then lots of really quiet running away sequences. Very much like The Revenant, just like lots of heavy breathing, running through yeah. a, a foresty thing. I, I think Band of Brothers for the Revolutionary War. Yeah. Yeah, lots of Bastogne-type episodes. Oh, yes. Yeah. So that would have Abbey Valley Forge. Yeah. Yeah, so that would be amazing. And then you go into all the political intrigue, uh, when he becomes president, fighting with Hamilton and Jefferson. And then right at the end, where the Jay Treaty is published in the paper, you can have a spinning paper that zooms towards the camera. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've got that. <laughs> it's all good stuff, isn't it? And it really is. I am mightily impressed. I would happily watch a series on Washington. I'd watch, yeah. I didn't always like Washington as a person when no. researching him. That makes the most interesting character. Got other flaws. Yeah, he grew on me. Uh, but at no point was he not interesting. He was fascinating. Yes. He is not a brilliant general. No. He's not the best politician in history. Nope. But the fact that he's not almost makes him more interesting. It, he, he, he's just like a real person. Yeah. Who, who, who tried his best and then stepped down because mm. he hated being a celebrity. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I just don't see how you can get much better than this. No. I'm, I'm going to go for the full ten. Are you? Yeah. I'm going to go for the nine. Ooh, just in case. Just in case, yes. <laughs> just in case someone else goes to the moon or something. I, I think so, yes. <laughs> you never know what Trump does. That's a mighty impressive 19. 19 for silver screen, okay. Okay, in this round, we judge their official portraits. We're not allowed to just use any image. It has to be the official portrait. Nice. That is done. Now, this portrait was painted in 1797. Oh, Right at the end of his presidency by a man named Gilbert Stuart. Washington's 64 years old in this painting. It's a painting of him rejecting his third term. You'll be pleased to know he is wearing his black velvet suit. Nice! Yes. Now, this is a copy of the original. The original was a gift to the British Prime Minister, interestingly. You oh. can tell all of the copies have deliberate spelling errors on the spines of the books. Really? Yeah, so you could tell which one was the original. It all says Constitution of the United States in the copies That's instead of United States. Yeah. Oh, wow. Gilbert Stewart called the copies he produced his $100 bills because he'd create copies so frequently for people and charge $100 for each one. Nice. Yeah. So, here we go. You ready to judge? I'm ready to judge. There he is. Very familiar painting, isn't it? Yeah. That's very familiar. It's very typical sort of Georgian style. Yeah. You've got the open curtain in the background looking out to the land that he owns. Yeah. Or his country. Very political. You got quite a bit of Roman in imagery in there. Yeah, you got the columns in the background. Yeah, you got columns in the background. You've got the faces as the uh, table legs, so the oh, bundles yeah. of sticks that the guards of the consuls right. would hold. They're the table legs on that oh, table. Right. Yeah, you've got the constitution underneath the table there. Lots of writing equipment on his table. And George himself is holding a ceremonial sword, but it's downward, because he's not a violent man. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but 
I mean, to me, that that strikes like a political painting. Oh yes, definitely. It's less military and more political, which is uh, which says something about and, it. And yeah, it's like yeah. the defence posture with the sword. I'll defend my country. Yeah. This is my country behind me. Yeah, his arm is outstretched as if to say, "I don't need another third term." Or pass me another chip. Yeah, it could be. Or look at this donkey. Yeah. Yeah. It's off offside. But... Yeah, yeah. You can't see the donkey. It could be anything. He's gesturing. Yeah. Yeah, it's very good. His face, clenched, bulging mouth. Yeah, very round cheeks. Because at this point, he he only had one tooth. At that point. Oh, did it? Might even actually the last one probably came out by that point. Yeah, I think when he started as president, he only had one tooth. Really? Yes, he suffered with dental problems his whole life, so his dentures caused him a huge amount of problems. Mm. They kept springing out. Ooh. So whenever he was uh, officially doing things, he'd quite often keep his mouth shut, which is perhaps why he was seen as neutral quite a lot. <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't yeah. neutral through choice. Yeah, inside his head, Necessity. he was just going, no, 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 don't do that. Ooh, a lady. Boing. <laughs> teeth, definitely teeth. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, yeah, that, that's George. Um, <clears throat> how are we going to do this? Is it on him or the entire painting? I think the entire painting. Yeah, so as it tells, painting, it tells the whole political it, message, isn't it? It does, doesn't it? It's very of the time. Yeah. You know, very very rich, very lavish. I think it's trying to show, look how rich we are, look how wealth, look how strong we are. We are a, as a modern nation. A republic. Yes, yes, look how just, Roman we are. Just like the Romans. Yeah, it's, we're rich, um, we're flamboyant. It's good. I like the fact he's gesturing. I like the fact he's looking stern. Yeah, I quite like it. It's quite, quite formal, quite nice. It's, it's not amazing, though. I'm going to mm. give it... It's hard to do the first one, isn't it? I'm going to give it a slightly above average. I think the painting of him's all right, and I quite like the backgrounds for a bonus point, so mm. I'm going to give it a six. Out of ten. Yeah. I will, I will match that, because I, I agree with that. So for this one, because we don't want to weight this too highly, we divide that score by four, which gives them a total of 3.00 for canvas ability. Bonus! And now, finally, we've just got a couple of short bonus rounds just to grab a couple of points at the end. The first one is terms served. If you complete a term, you get a point. George Washington completed two terms. He gets two points. Du point. Next one, assassination. If you're assassinated, you get a couple of points. Attempted assassination, one point. Attempted assassination, one point. No assassination attempts, no points. No one tried to knock off old Georgie, okay. so, uh, so no points for him. It wouldn't have been in their best interest, it, it though, wouldn't. would it? See, you... the Romans should have learned from that. <laughs> yes, they definitely should. And then finally, election. This one's a bit more complicated. If you had two elections, I average your electoral college score and then decide if you won by a landslide if you got more than 70% of the electoral college votes. George Washington gets two because in both his elections he got 100% of the votes. Nice. You don't get more landslide even that. No. No. So he gets two points for election. So that gives him a total score of 37. That's pretty good. Yeah, you can. The maximum you can score in this is fifty-one. That's so. Uh, top marks for everything, yeah. Yeah, so 30, 37 is a very respectable score. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be hard to beat. I think it'll be hard to beat. Yeah, and so all that leaves is our final round. American or American? Okay, this round, uh, no points. We just um, decide. Do we like the guy? Yeah. Did he impress? And uh, if he didn't, he's an American. But if he did... Oh, he's an American. Oh, yes. Hardcore style. Styly, I believe. Yeah. Do you know yeah. be really embarrassing, though? What? If we forgot to record this and then had to meet, like, two days later. 
<laughs> splice into the episode. That would be really annoying, that wouldn't would it? That would be so embarrassing. Good yeah. job we've not done that. No, no. No. Go on, and since we have literally just talked about him not two days ago, um, were, were you impressed? I was impressed. And the good thing about him, and as a, I was about to say character, and as a person, he got more interesting as he went along. Yeah. Um, he's very human. Yeah. He's very I liked flawed that. at the beginning. Yeah. Then he changed and developed and basically became the first ever US president. I don't think there's any way he can't be an American. Yeah, he's got to have it. He definitely does. Yeah. Uh, he he was just the perfect man for the job. He was. Anyone else would have just took America, <laughs> drove it into a brick wall with their ego. Yes. And Washington didn't have that ego. No. And he knew when to step away. Yeah. Which is very important. Well, he wanted to step away most of the time. Yeah, that's true. It was more sense of duty for him, wasn't it? So, yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Well done, Washington. You are an American. Woo! So, next time we will start John Adams. I honestly don't know if that's going to be a one or two party yet. Um, I thought it was going to be one, but then I started reading his biography, and uh, I think it might become a two party. Uh, I think that's going to yeah. be precedent now. <laughs> it might well appear, yes. <laughs> so, next time we will be doing John Adams. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much. Uh, don't forget you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. You can also download us from Podbean, iTunes and Stitcher. And please do review. We love to hear the reviews and any reviews that you leave, especially they're good reviews, they make everyone else listen to our podcast. <laughs> yes, magically. Well, yeah. Well. yeah. So, please do that. Thank you for listening. And all that needs to be said then is... Boing. Goodbye. Goodbye. Finally done it, my, my retirement speech. Ah, good, good. Let, let me have a look. Let's see what you've got here on the parchment. I don't mind if you want to polish a little bit of it, but I'm quite happy. I think this is a good, strong speech. Okay, let me have a little look through here, and um, you, you, you say you're happy with this. Yes, I think it's a very strong start. I think it's a very impassioned start, sir. Dear losers... You have no idea what you're missing. I hope you'll sod off and die. It's... yes. I, I was toying with ingrates, but losers, I thought, would really get that feeling that I've won and they've lost. It's very modern. I'll give you that. Oh, no, I can see you've used ingrates down here, though. Oh, yes. Well, it's a good word. You, yes, we've used it four times in one sentence. I can't help but feel that their ingratitude merits this. That's true, but I... I, I feel like you may lose the audience when you start the next sentence with I hope you all die in your sleep. It's a bit harsh. There's parenthesis. There's a lot of parenthesis. I didn't say everyone. No, I'll give you that. I made it clear I didn't want Martha to die. Okay. Um, uh, uh, yes. Have you considered perhaps a more statesmanship approach? How, how do you mean? More dignified. Less sweary. What? What? Sorry, sorry I, I got distracted. Twelve blondes, four redheads, and three brunettes just walked past the window. Can't, can't you see? L ladies! Oh, they've gone. Pervert.